welcome to the Grand Initiation series. And we have a lovely guest today as well. Well, we know you. You've been here before, I think. I have. So please introduce yourself. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, my name is Erin. I use she, her pronouns. And I'm coming to you from the traditional territories of the Songhees First Nation, um, which is in the sort of, it's part of the colonial land called British Columbia. So I'm not very far from Ludo. Hey! <laughs> yeah. Hi, neighbor. Just a continent away. <laughs> I think I'm on unceded Salish territory. I think it's, I think that's the First Nation from where I am. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. Uh, if we are going to post about First Nations, I'm in Viking territory. <laughs> Fair enough. So, yeah, how did you get in RPGs, Aaron? It started, funnily enough, way back in high school, which I'm sure is probably the case for many people. Um, gawky teenage years, group of friends. We mostly played D&D, a little bit of Shadowrun. It was a long, long time ago. And... That kind of lasted until graduation, so a few years of high school. But uh, I grew up, uh, I was a military brat. So I was on military bases. Funnily enough, the last base I lived on was LAR uh, in the Schwarzfeld region. And then after high school, everybody kind of split, right? We all got posted back to various places in Canada and we weren't in the same community anymore. I, I started going to university and I was so busy. I did not do any role play. Um, I ended up getting involved eventually in the Society for Creative Anachronism. So I did medieval reenactment type stuff and uh, still to some extent do that years down the road. It's been 25 years of that now, I think. Uh, and didn't have time. I mean, I, I do recall with some of my SCA friends, we had a very brief D&D campaign, but uh, there were way too many of us at that table and, and it, it was quite insane. And it, it just didn't really last long because most of us were too caught up in the SCA side of things. Other than D&D and... Uh, Shadow Run, that was kind of it for my early introductions. And I first heard about Glorantha in December 2018. I was heading over to the UK to go to a, a conference and uh, was going to crash with a friend for a night, which I think I said in the previous interview. Um, yeah, and, yeah. Yeah, and the GM uh, for that game. So the friend I was crashing with was saying, well, you know, do I just skip the game this night? Or, you know, do you mind sort of just sitting in? And the GM's like, no, no, no. Aaron can play. Let's make her a character for this this one session. And we went through all the character generation and all of that. And I thought, this is really kind of fun. And I liked that it wasn't medieval because mm -hmm. I, I get enough medieval through both my job and the reenactment stuff and so the bronze age side of things was really kind of intriguing and i liked that magic interwove everything and and i thought okay well you know one one shot this will be fun i can do that just for one night one night that's all it was gonna be and that was december 2018 and now um i have played in several different games i'm still in that one game uh, we play that fortnightly. For a while, we actually played it every week, but we couldn't act the every week schedule. It was a little too intense for us all. So um, 
that one's fortnightly and then i have a couple others that i have played in and uh yeah it's it's been a little insane what did you um what did you do in the sca oh god what didn't i um or what what was your specialty or your um... my area of interest was early russia so i was looking at kind of the that period where russia is still pagan but but where you have initial conversions so 10th century stuff um i did shift a little later at times as i kind of explored it because the source information for 10th century russia is rather limited um and i'm a I'm a researcher by habit. Uh, I Even in my undergrad, I was always that student who, you know, you have an essay where you have to have a minimum of five sources and I'd have three pages of sources because I just couldn't stop myself. So yeah, I, I mostly did Russian, early medieval Russian stuff, but I tended to go off in different directions. And yeah. <laughs> and so I actually on... Um, on some of the Facebook groups, the RuneQuest Facebook groups, you'll sometimes see me interacting as Aaron, with, which is my real name, and you'll sometimes see me interacting as Najeshda, which is my SCA Facebook profile. Um, and I started on the Facebook um, RuneQuest forums using the Najeshda profile. Um, so, yeah, that's why there's two of me yeah. in Facebook there. So, because um, I'm... Not super familiar with how the SCA works because I think uh, there is like some some of the reenactment stuff which is uh, basically uh, you know historical LARPing. Mm-hmm. Um, is there actual LARPing like in in not just reenacting a battle or? Um... Yeah, so it's a it's an interesting organization. Um, it's very broad in scope. It, it drives traditional reenactors a little bonkers because uh, basically with the SCA, as long as it's medieval, it's probably fair game. As long as it's not, you know, reenacting things that drive uh, inequalities. So there's very few people who would do something like slavery in the Middle Ages as part of the SCA. Um, I would say we don't tend to reenact plagues, but COVID might have changed things a little bit there. And then within that, It's a massive time scale. Um, you'll see people playing very early medieval stuff right through to um, the Italian Renaissance and English Tudor and all of that kind of thing. So huge time scale. And it's not unusual to go to a feast and have a couple of Vikings sitting next to a couple of people in, you know, late medieval Spanish clothing <laughs> and the, the whole nine yards. Um, it's really about kind of personal journeys into the past and sometimes you get groups of people who do it together i know one group that does some really phenomenal stuff around vikings for instance and then you also get people who just do it for the sort of costume party element i just want to dress up and go have a feast with my friends and other people who there are recognitions within the society so um you can get recognized for your fighting skills at a very high level. And some of those people have gone on to do things with European martial arts and, and have been heavily involved in that movement. But many of them got their starts through the SCA. Then there's the what we call the arts and sciences line of things. That's really where my passion lies. Although I'm more, as I said, a researcher than a, an artist. Um, I do a lot of stuff around costuming and I do a lot of stuff around what... Somebody's skill set might have been like in the Middle Ages, especially in that 
um, 10th century Russia sort of era. And then um, you also get the people who, that's where they get their volunteerism kick, right? So they're the people who go in and they dress up in really cool clothes, but they spend so much time helping others run events. So there'll be feasts and tournaments and wars and all of this kind of stuff. And and I dabble in a little bit of all of that. I've done the fighting. I've done archery. I volunteer when volunteers are needed. Uh, but the passion for me is always the research side. Nice. And And the organization is probably so big that you you never got to uh hit steve perrin or rick stafford or any of the <laughs> people in the head or anything like no, that. no i i mean i know them i know of them but too far away <laughs> for me um yeah. but that's how i that was actually the connection that got me into glorantha because um the friend that i was staying with i knew through the sca and i know tom the gm through the sca because i did live in i did my grad school in the uk And so I spent six years over there and uh, played in the SCA there as well. Oh, and actually, um, Xenophos, one of the other players in our game, is in Finland. And I did, a, when I was an undergrad student, I was an exchange student in Finland. And Xenophos is part yeah. of the SCA community in Finland. And so there's all these interconnections and stuff. Oh, nice. Yeah. So, yeah, we already talked about you being uh, hauled into a game of RuneQuest. Have you played Glorantha with any other uh, game systems or a sport game or anything? No, I tried the, the mobile game, the... King of Dragon Pass. Yeah, that's the one, King of Dragon Pass. It it did not inspire me at all. Um, I was trying to get a Glorantha fix at one point because I think our game was on the hiatus for <laughs> a period of time. And I'm like, oh, well, I'll, I'll try this this mobile game. And I, yeah it wasn't for me but uh, otherwise it's all just been um ring quest Glorantha. i've read some of the hero quest stuff because i was trying to fill in some lore in my head and, and then in the end um decided that i didn't have enough mental capacity right now to <laughs> branch out too widely so i've really stuck <laughs> with the one system well i guess you're not too into the you know fighting parts of the SCA but uh, because like you know RuneQuest was designed by SCA fighters because they thought D&D was not realistic enough and they really wanted you to be able to cut somebody's left leg so um, do you have comments about the realism so-called realism of RuneQuest? I I have been an SCA fighter off and on for 25 years um, I still have a bag of armor in storage because I haven't put it on in a while but um <laughs> I, I, if this was a video thing, I'd go grab my helmet because it's just over in the other room and it's, it's pretty. Um, there are definitely elements of this that make it more realistic um, in terms of having these different types of options of, around where you end up hitting somebody and the kind of damage it can do. I, if there's one element of that though, that really bugs me and that's the, the whole called shots getting delayed to the very end because when i'm fighting i'm picking my targets when i fight yeah. you know i i do martial arts so i do karate and i do the sca fighting um i've done a little bit of fencing as well i'm never just blind well no i can't say i'm never blindly striking i'm rarely blindly striking i'm usually picking a target and uh it the one element of the 
Glorantham and combat, the RuneQuest rules that bugs me is that a called shot is at the very, very end of yeah. a round. My, and I'm my, like, my understanding is not that, and I mean, I could be wrong, but the, the way I interpret the rules is not that you hit at random. It's that you roll to see which opportunity presented itself. So you're, you're still aiming consciously for the left leg, but it just happens that this is the best opportunity you got during that round. As okay. opposed to another opportunity, I could I could work with yeah. that. Whereas I might when, to when, wait, when, though. yeah, when <laughs> so whereas when you call a shot and say I really want to hit the head, then you need to wait until that opportunity opens up, and it means statistically you're gonna have to wait slightly longer than the one who just takes any good opportunity to hit. I mean, that's my understanding. I don't know that, if that... that interpretation actually makes a lot of sense to me. I can I can work with that. That that'll help me reconcile some of my frustration with it. <laughs> Although, like I said, sometimes I would opt not to take the shot. You know, like I'm I might choose not to throw a shot at somebody's left leg um, because I'd rather hit somewhere between like groin and head. Thank you very much. Um, but yeah, I it's it helps me at least reconcile that that one piece of tension in in my head around the fighting the other one i'm slightly perplexed by around the fighting and and this really comes out of sunday's game um so my main pc the one i've been playing since i started is this vingan called veranus and we were just in some nasty bit of well, we, we helped take all the chore. Um, so there was some nasty bit of fighting going on there. And I went up against a Humac D who severed my arm. Like it was ridiculous the amount of damage that, that he did. Um, and um, of course, you know, it was despite the armor and everything else. Right. So I'm like, okay, clearly he got through a gap in the armor. Um, I didn't, I mean, I, I was fortunate to land near a healer who was able to repair me relatively quickly but i'm like why wasn't i at risk of bleeding out and dying i mean a, a severed limb I, that i should have been on the verge of dying and then it was explained to me that with limb damage in in according to the rule set that that isn't necessarily the case you you might not die from um, a major injury to a limb, whereas, of course, a major injury to head or torso could be fatal really quickly. Um, yeah. But yeah, I don't. Uh, yeah, okay, a severed, the severed arm could be just at the wrist, or it could be up at the shoulder, so that will make a difference too. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I, I like my bleeding rules in in like if it's a crunchy because I also like rules light systems, but if it's a crunchy system, yeah, I'm I. If there's no bleeding rules, I'm still gonna make some up, and I'm gonna say, yeah, you're, you're gonna lose one HP every every ten minutes or every half hour or whatever it is, and, and because it, it builds that that sense of urgency also. In mm -hmm. it's yeah. like we need to get out because otherwise, you know, people just stay around and say, okay, we're gonna loot the corpses and all that while Bob is bleeding from his severed arm or whatever. And I'm like, no, 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 Bob is losing HP, so you gotta you gotta make a choice. Yeah. So, yeah. I was really lucky that our healer had actually fumbled a listen roll and had thought that I had been like crying out my death um, several minutes before and when actually it had been a war cry, just she doesn't speak <laughs> Israelian. 
Um, and <laughs> so she came charging up the wall to try to find me while I was still alive and fighting happily. But it meant she was right there when I was killed, or not killed, but when <laughs> oh, I was nice. injured badly. So that was convenient yeah. for me. But yeah, it was, it's, I quite enjoy the, the fighting aspect of it. I've played a few non-fighty characters. Um, and okay, I've played a couple non-fighty characters. Uh, and I did find it hard to be staying out of combat. Um, but I kind of, it's the same in the SCA. I want to, I want to put my armor on when I'm at events. So <laughs> it might be a personality thing. Yeah. So does your severed arm or hand uh, now feel a little bit strange to you? Quite possibly. I didn't really have a lot of time to process that because it, it <laughs> happened. I got, I got repaired and, uh, came back to consciousness right about the time that we ended the session and and we're on a a break for um several weeks now because um we skipped so we alternate because there's an overlapping set of players um uh, between the RuneQuest game and a Cthulhu game that Dom runs and we skipped one of Dom's to allow us to do this battle back to back because otherwise it was going to be a very very long wait for for finishing it and several of us were in the midst of violence um, but it now means we've got two weeks of Cthulhu coming up and then Diana and I are playtesting some stuff so there'll be two to three weeks of playtesting stuff and it and and in between with that, there'll be more of Cthulhu. So it's actually, it might be late November, early December before I get back to being Veronis again. Um, so we'll see how, how that goes. <laughs> I'm not dead yet, though. That's good. I know that part. <laughs> it's, just a, yes. it's just a scratch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm going to have to repair the padding for my armor. <laughs> Or possibly just toss it out because that would be a lot of blood. I might need new padding. Yeah. <laughs> Are you planning to visit some Gloranthan conventions when they come to your neighborhood? We'll see. I did a couple of online ones. So, um, God, I don't even remember which ones they were. There was a Gen Con thing that was yeah. online that I did a, a Gloranthan session in and, and another one. I I would like to, and I'd even consider traveling, but the problem for me right now is just COVID and all the uncertainty yeah. with that it makes it hard to to plan or even look forward to something like that because I just don't know. But the online ones were fun. I was really sad that this most recent Gen Con, um, so I, I had picked out the thing I wanted to play and then there was a hiccup with my online registration. And so by the time mm. I could finally register, all the online clearance and sessions were full and, and there just weren't enough of them clearly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did you end up playing something else? No, oh. no, I am. I am an academic and an academic in the time of COVID is, uh, I mean, most of us are pretty burnt out. And so learning new role systems and stuff for me is actually really hard right now. I'm no. kind of sticking with what's familiar because even the familiar stuff, I'm often going, okay, wait, Tom, what's the rule around this again? Um, 
Not, not all of them are as complex as RuneQuest, though. <laughs> yeah, I suppose that's true. Because, <laughs> yeah, you can you can only have so many RuneQuest-level crunch in your head. But yeah. thankfully, yeah. that's on, yes. the, on the crunchier side. Witcher was a lot more straightforward to do. Dom ran a Witcher game for us for a little bit. And it had some elements that I really quite liked. Um, the I still had to think about interpreting roles and, and that kind of thing and wait how do I roll on this thing again but um, one of the things I really loved about it and I think if I reach a point where I start GMing it kind of won't matter what system I do I'm going to borrow this thing from Witcher and that's the at the end of um, a session you take a moment to work through the the cool things that happened in the game and and uh, in Witcher, you get rewarded points for having, you know, thought outside the box or done something that really helped the party or whatever. And those points then become, the, they're part of the improvement points thing. So you can apply them to skills. And, um, and I want to find a way to kind of adapt that because what I really liked about it was all of the players took time to talk about what other players had done that was cool. I really liked it when so-and-so did this thing, or I thought that was a really, that was really useful for our party. And and that's worthy of, of points. We rarely nominated ourselves for any points. It was always about boosting up the other players. And I thought that was really, it, it yeah. was really uplifting, so which you kind of need in Witcher because Witcher's not an uplifting game. <laughs> nice. oh, okay. So uh, after you got hooked uh, in that one night session, Mm -hmm. What was the first text you uh, read about the setting? Uh, probably, I'm looking at the growing collection of books on my shelf. I think I might have actually um, started right in on the role-playing in Glorantz, the book, like the main one, because I kind of might have ordered it right away after deciding that I was going to continue on some more. And so I got the PDF copy of it, started working through that. And then the hardcover copy came up and uh, there might, I, I might have a little while after that decided that I needed the box set. So it's possible I have two copies of the request book on my shelf because I, I had to have the box set. Uh, I know the struggle. Yeah. 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 And it was okay. I really liked the the main book. There I still haven't made it through the whole thing, but I, I there was there's just so much there, so much lore and so much history and and yeah. And and I do use it every almost every session I pull it off the shelf for something or other because I need to look yeah. something up for um yeah. Okay, um, so uh, what uh, do you wish you had known, read, or played before you f uh, first encountered Maratha? I, I really liked that in your tips prior to the interview, you said it could be things that aren't yet out there, because, God, I wish the starter set had been out there when I was playing. <laughs> I've had some sneak peeks at the starter set, because I helped with some of the editing on that, Um the sort of informal read it through does this make sense kind of thing and um yeah i i that would have been phenomenal when i first started um the other one is that i know there's going to be a a sartar a set just to struggle with names a little bit and yeah. <laughs> um having again had some chances to look at some of the 
preview type pieces with that and and talk to Jeff about some of that stuff. I think I'd have ended up playing a Sardarite if I'd um, if that book had been out or that set had been out at the time. That said, I kind of am playing a Sardarite. I just didn't know it when I first started because I first started with this Israelian character who part of her ancestry was unknown. And uh, it turned out that she, her, her grandmother is from, descended from Tarkalor and like just off that direction, not Tarkalor, one of the others. I can't remember now. I have a whole family tree though. And, um, <laughs> and I'm still trying to reconstruct that side of the family tree because everybody's dead. So figuring out, you know, who yeah. was related to whom and, and so on from these unofficial lines. But that was all part of, my foolish error of telling Tom to surprise me with something about my character because I ran out of steam on the character generation. Uh, and so Varanus has become very Sardarite. We spend an awful lot of time on that side of the border and she's yeah. sworn to serve Callier, who's still alive in our game. And Callier is, has given her a mixed kind of welcome because there is always this risk that that Veronis might decide she wants a throne. She desperately does not want a throne because I can't imagine how that would be fun to role play. I do not want to role play a queen. But uh, it's, it <laughs> makes for some interesting politics. Yeah, barring the stuff uh, Jeff sneaked at you, uh, is there anything uh, you would like to uh, delve deeper into Garantha without having to uh, look at books? Well, I am so... I'm still really struggling with some elements of the magic, you know, and the red book of magic helps to some extent. That's, that's a great tool, but I find that I still like trying to figure out how to play it in a way that is not so obsessed with the rules. Uh, like, okay, sure. I can yeah. roll the dice, but what is it actually What does it actually yeah. look like? What does it feel like? And and what does it feel like? Uh, Loranda knows uh, th uh, three sets of magic. There's sorcery. That's magic you know. We don't talk about that one. <laughs> uh, there's spirit magic or animist magic, magic you have. Mm -hmm. And then there's uh, rune magic, divine magic, which is magic you are. Mm. So uh, the moment you cast the rune spell, you become an aspect of the deity you casting the rules spell off so uh when you do your lightning or whatever you use you become vinga mm -hmm. and uh, other people might see you as a blue-skinned woman and so on and right. the thunder uh, yeah. might roll and everything so you might be crowned by uh, clouds stuff like that yeah it was nice that the red book of magic included uh, sections about what magic sounds like and looks like um, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. So uh, basically, uh, the year around you might smell like a lightning just struck, stuff like that. I like that. Okay, I have another one for you that's kind of related to that. Yeah, I'm, I'm getting closer to rune level, and Ooh. yeah, it's exciting. It's it's been like two and a half years, and I'm finally oh. getting closer. But I've been thinking about it and thinking, how do you? balance like play in a in a world where rune lords owe a ton of service and tithes and all of this kind of stuff uh how you role play that and then how you also 
balance that with other obligations. Like if we think about this world, you have people who are, you know, leaders like a chief who has that yes. same sort of status of rune lord or yeah. priests and and how they, they can't give away 90 percent of their income because they need to be able to also give gifts and you know be that generous <laughs> ruler and all of that kind of stuff and yes. and there's just not that much money in circulation oh you're no. really asking how do so, you um how do you trick the ledgers and uh <laughs> and, yeah, and keep like a, some offshore accounts of loot? is that what you're asking <laughs> no no, no i, I have very high honor yeah <laughs> Yeah, and uh, basically that's already a good part of the card obligations you're following already. So if you are are noble, you already are spending, uh, I'd say, 50 to 60% of your time on cult business because the cult business is nobility business. Ah. And, um, well, uh, you're from Azrolia, so not quite a Colimar. Yeah, except I'm kind of Colimar, that, that grandmother. If you're a follower, follower of Kalia, then she is going to uh, be the one who's uh, paying the expenses for you. That would explain that gold ring she gave me that while back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, stuff like that. So um, be becoming a wind lord or a wind lady, or however it is called for Winga, <laughs> basically uh, puts you under the uh, shoes of a noble. Well, big news for you, is it? <laughs> Yeah, well, no, because Veronis was born to a noble house. So she's, it, it's been interesting having her sort of follow a more warrior path because she, she didn't start with skills in that direction. She just persisted, I persisted in using them. Um, but her highest skill, for instance, is orate. And, yeah. you know, she's got pretty strong managed household and these kinds of things because um, when I, did the character generation i created a noble woman who was also a follower of vinka and yeah yeah so she's not going to be surprised by being you know by by part of that level of society because she already belongs to that level of society but it's the where does she need to be spending her time now and uh, how how can she follow through on her obligations somehow i don't even know how this happened somehow i ended up as the face of the party i only just recently learned what a face of a party meant because i <laughs> i hadn't heard that term before but my just playing for that one night and now i seem to be kind of somehow the leader of the war band that i didn't know i had formed and um yeah Sounds i have so words all for in Tom. your pocket yeah <laughs> So uh, that's a good day. Uh, so if you're the leader of the war, band, then that's where those 90% of your income go to. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I think there's also um, like some, some of that is on kind of the shoulder of the GM in the sense that because now you're, you've got those obligations, then probably like most of the, at least if I was the GM, I would send towards your character uh, most you know, mission offers and, and things would actually come from your, um, you know, your constituents or whatever. Mm. Uh, and so it, it would be that the campaign now goes around basically the cult business. And because like, like you was saying, like politics and religion are effectively the same in, in, in Bronze Age. 
Mm -hmm. uh, what gets tricky is when you have multiple rune lords in a party. I'm not sure how you balance that because, you know, one of them might be yeah. uh, a rune lord for this cult and the other is rune lord for that cult. And so now, you know, they yeah. might have to split the party or you might have to do a lot of fast forwards and, and downtime. So, yeah, I don't, that's, that's, that's going to happen. Yeah. That's, that's going to happen. Right now we have a god talker. Yeah. Um, Arnaldin. Mm -hmm. And then uh, we have a Humacti who's awfully close to Rune Lord status. That's Bera. And um, Stormbull, which is Rajar. So he's got to be getting close. I don't know how close he is, but he's got to be getting close. And and we do have all these other PCs. We have so many PCs in our party. Yeah. It's it's a big game, um, <laughs> but I think those are our ones that are getting closest to that yeah. rune level status. Yeah. And then, I mean, to me, the, the easiest way at that point is when you have all those rune lords and rune priests of different cults. The reason that they hang out together is because they are at war. You know, they are going and following Kalir or Argrath or yeah. whatever, and yes. they are campaigning for two years or something. So yeah, that's, that's something easy. Jeff just posted on Facebook. Oh yeah, ah, um, where he put up Kalir, her twelve people on the High Council, mm -hmm. her thanes who fight for her, and so on. And yeah. these rule lords obviously fill such positions. So. Yeah. There will be casualties in Kalia's followers, and it's highly likely that uh, your misfit band will have to step up. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, if, if you become the prince of, of, uh, of no. Star Tower, no, no, I mean, look, look, look at Kalir. I mean, she's she's campaigning, she's going for, to war, she's doing, you know, uh, hero yeah. quests and stuff like that. So, you know, you can, you can leave all of the day-to-day -day stuff to, uh, to your scribes and, and, uh, and all that. And you can and just say, well, little, you, you, I'm, can, you can yeah. just be the, uh, the air and wait. I mean, Kalir almost died once. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. she actually kind of did in our game, and then we brought her back from hell. Yes. But so, you guys have been talking to our Yermali, haven't you? Because he's been trying to convince me to go for that throne, and I have been yeah. telling him no. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you're not going to, for that throne. The throne is going to fall on you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh. I mean, the, the, best, the best leader is the one who doesn't want to be. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I don't like you guys anymore, and it's time to wrap up this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> next question. Uh, I think the next question is: uh, Do I do I want to tell you guys about anything we're doing? And uh, you already know about yeah. um, about beer with teeth, which I write for, and um, that's a lot of fun. We've we've got our own website, which handily is beerwithteeth.games and and I'm sure you'll post a link for us. Yep. We have a, a wiki for our ridiculous campaign. Um, and uh, I sometimes write up um, fun stuff for that. So I've done like fake archaeological reports and um, bits of pieces of uh, fake anthropology for it um, for fun. And I can share the link if anybody's curious uh, oh, yeah. to peek at some of that stuff. So I've done things like write up, um, you know, what the anthropological perspective on Israelian initiation rites is and, and that kind of thing, um, just as a way of exploring stuff. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm happy to to share that link in case anybody wants to poke around and see the insanity that is our website. Uh, we are <laughs> going to migrate it at some point to a different site because right now it's uh, wiki and it's become a bit unwieldy, but 
for the moment. For the moment, it's still the Wikidot site. Yeah. I think those are my key things that I wanted to tell people yeah. about. Cool. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for this. Actually, before before we end, you mentioned like all the stuff you like about Florenta, uh, mm-hmm. the um, you know the the yeah. lore and the history and all that. I don't think we asked you what you don't like about Florenta. You know what? Funnily enough, the thing that I don't like, forgive me for saying this, is sometimes the pissing contests people get into about which system is better. You know, like the, so you, you get the, oh, well, no, Hero Quest is really the, the way to play around in Glorantha or, or no, this is the way it is because Jeff or um, Greg meant it to be this way and it's going to stay this way forever. And, and the thing I love about Glorantha is how fluid it is. And and it seems to me from what little I've read of Greg's vision that he always treated it as fluid and growing. And and I love that about it. So when you run into the people who try to kind of throw up barriers or say, but this is the way it must be or, or any of that kind of stuff, that's that's the part that I don't like. It feels like squabbling. And so it not, feels not like... Not just the system, but also the lore. Yeah, yeah, yeah mm-hmm. exactly. So, you know, the... The world changes, right? Yeah. Uh, and there's different kinds of truths. What's true for Veronis may not be true for Bera, even though we're in the same game. Yeah. And uh, I think, you know, that that whole... It's funny how people kind of give lip service to your glance. Glorantha may vary at times, but, mm-hmm. but then still dig their heels in. And that's the piece that has bugged me. The system itself, I mean, it has its quirks. It has things that are challenging. I still can't even begin to understand sorcery. But it doesn't <laughs> bother me. I don't dislike it. What I dislike yeah. is is gatekeeping. Mm, yeah. yeah, fair enough. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's an old fandom and uh, it is on the internet. And I'm going to leave it at that. <laughs> I won't argue with that. <laughs> cool. Well, thanks for um, talking to us. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And, uh, hopefully, we'll see you again online. Uh, well, we'll see you again online. Yeah. Yeah. Sooner or later. <laughs> I look forward to listening to your series. Thank you for listening to this episode of the God Learner's Glorenthan Initiation Series. The intro music is Dancing Tiger by Dams Craig. The outro music is Islam Dream by Serge Quadrado. You can find us online at godlearners.com or on Twitter and Facebook at The God Learners. See you next time. Question everything to the void and beyond.